Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Liz Head. Liz Head is the Director of Operations at Orchard. Her role is to incorporate LEED's capacity building curriculum into Orchard and launch a refreshed virtual training opportunity in fall 2021. Liz also leads financial operations, human resources, and strategic initiative implementation. An experienced strategist with a 15-year career in investment banking and operations management, Liz provided advisory services to small to medium-sized companies. She most recently worked with the investment banking groups of Fifth Third Securities and Cary Street Partners. She's a graduate of the University of Georgia and Harvard Business School. Liz, her husband Hugh, and their daughters Eleanor and Camille live in Chambly, Georgia, and are active members of Peachtree Church. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm excited about the conversation you've You've uh, done so many amazing things in so many different industries and domains and things that I can't, I can't wait to talk to you about, about innovation. So thanks, thanks again for making the time. Absolutely. So let's dive in. What in your mind is innovation? Yeah, I, I guess in my mind, innovation is, especially in what I'm doing now with nonprofit ministry and, and working with Orchard, I, I really believe that innovation is being available, being action oriented towards something that you see that is a problem or an issue. I really think it's looking to find some sort of solution and being passionate about it and just being kind of willing to, uh, to jump in. That's been my personal experience, I guess, but it's, it's also been the experience that I've seen with innovators in nonprofit ministry, which is the organization I work for now, Orchard. That's what we're trying to do is, is help Christians learn how to launch and lead creative initiatives, serving those in need. Hmm. So that's kind of my frame, I guess, for, for innovation. Yeah. I love that. Especially the, the jumping in part, the action oriented aspect of it, because when I, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to work with you on some things as part of your organization and one thing that always jumps out about you with LEAD or you with Orchard has always been the proactivity, the pragmatism about, you know, what will help this team, this leader get to the next step, move things forward. Is that something that is that comes naturally to you or is that something you've tried to sort of cultivate over time? It's definitely been a cultivation process for me. <laughs> I think if you asked me naturally if I enjoy change, the answer would be would be no, right? right. Um, it's you know kind of a, an object in motion stays in motion is is kind of how I think about it. I think if you let me kind of sit too long in a place, then I'm I'm perfectly content to stay there. Mm. And I actually think that you know kind of my personal story might show some of that. You know, when you when you start working towards something, you just kind of keep marching towards whatever you know society or the people you go to school with tell you is the next step. And so that was probably a lot of the the background for me. But I think I had kind of a moment after having a family, after kind of thinking through things and saying, you know what, I, I don't think I want to take this next logical step in my career path and I want to shake things up. And so mm. I think what I have tried to be in the past, you know, 
maybe five years. If I see something that, that seems like it has the capability to, to make an impact and a change, I want to go after it. But I still have to, on a daily basis, remind myself that it's all about forward progress because otherwise I might get, I might get complacent and <laughs> just sit still. So. <laughs> I, I, I am certain the odds are against that, especially in this space. You clearly have such a passion for it. Sounds like you found something that has where your passion and energy for it is greater than your, you know, natural preference or natural tendency to kind of sit still as you're almost propelled by your passion in this space. As you think about innovation and change and connecting those two things, how do you help people in your program? So maybe tell folks a little bit about leading that program, because a lot of what I'm going to ask you about is just things that I already, (laughs) I probably already know intuitively, but how do you think about instilling that mindset of innovation forward movement in the participants in your program? And is that, is that something you intentionally do? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely. So just a little bit about kind of what we do, right? At Orchard now, we are, are partnering with nonprofit ministry leaders on a daily basis. We can help them get something from idea phase into, you know, it's, it's launched, it's, a, it's an official 501c3 and, and we're off and running, but we can also help folks, you know, that already have something started, figure out what the right next steps are to keep it moving. And central to that is actually where I come from, the, the LEAD Institute, which is now a part of Orchard. And, and it's about a very, what's the right word? I mean, it, it's, it's a basic, business sustainability kind of training course and mm-hmm. it's it's curriculum and teaching on how to set your strategy and story and be real clear about it about how to inspire investment through fundraising training and then about how to build a sustainable organization that's really bigger than the uh, the founder of that organization and so that's what the the training program is really about is teaching those things and and so you know, leads training program in the midst of Orchard as an organization that uh, that consults and coaches with nonprofit leaders, I think is the, you know, the tab between those two. Mm-hmm. But I guess I might need you to to ask your question again. With that as the backstory, what question do you have about that? I guess, yeah. you know, change. Yeah, it's just around the forward movement, the progression, the, in, the you know, mindset for innovation. Is that something you select for, or is it something you try to coach into people, or how do you think about that? Honestly, most of the leaders that we work with have no problem naming their passions and their call, right? Yeah. I think part of what inspired me to take action steps versus just being complacent and kind of living the life that, uh, that it seemed like I had, uh, had been handed is because I was around a lot of nonprofit leaders and and realized that these folks are folks who are willing to take risk, right? Mm-hmm. They're willing to step into something because they see a problem and they're they're action oriented people and they <laughs> and they want to do something about it. So the action orientation is not necessarily something that we have to look hard for. Yeah. I think that's already there. I think what we have to do at Orchard and and with our curriculum is help folks figure out how to how to focus that right and how to how to think about I guess the healthy ways to keep that energy going but also investing in the right places to make sure it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. 
you know, both from a sustainable on a personal level for that leader, but also sustainable on a organizational level as well. So a great passion and a great energy and a true heart for service is going to carry a long way, but it won't sustain Mm -hmm. if you don't have the right foundational building blocks underneath it as well. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know that we have to go looking for the change or the discomfort and, and stepping out and, you know, undiscovered territory with the folks we work with. I think it's more helping make sure that they can keep doing that. Mm. So it's more about providing them with the tools and the resources to allow them to have impact. Yes. Allow that passion to translate into actual community mission-driven impact. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. It's interesting to me how you shifted from one set of companies, so advising, you know, small and medium-sized for-profit companies to another set of organizations. Are there any similarities? And when people think about the for-profit and nonprofit world, it's usually pretty binary. You know, you and I have kind of had careers in both spaces, but there aren't a lot of people that actively work in both spaces. Have you seen any common similarities or common ground in, in those two populations? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of overlap. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. some pretty stark differences too, right? Yeah, but right. Uh, yeah. but I think when it comes to basic kind of business sustainability, like how do you build an organization kind of around your call or your passion or what you you see as a problem? I, I think there's a ton of similarities, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think if you're going to start a new for-profit business or a new nonprofit business, you still got to put a lot of the same building blocks into place. The differences do come in, though, in that a nonprofit organization, and this is the one of the things that we think about and we try to, to share with the folks who go through our program. I mean, you are ultimately the person who had the idea, but once you become a 501c3 organization, you are community owned, right? Mm. It is no longer you who are the primary benefactor. And so while there are so many different phases and stages and and growth opportunities and ways that your organization will shift and change over its life cycle, you know, that's kind of a a foundational piece from, from the get go, you're saying, this is not meant to benefit me. It's meant to, uh, to benefit the community owners of this organization. Right. So the profit motivation, maybe looks a little different. I mean, it obviously Mm -hmm. looks different, but changes a little bit. But in terms of running an organization, the similarities are very much there. Yeah. Yeah. The operational side of things, I feel like sometimes the the mindset, like a small business owner and a nonprofit leader, some of the sort of leadership principles you have to learn, some of the you know elements of humility and owning the spaces where you need help and need support and finding ways to sort of close those gaps. Yeah. I've seen some of those things play out on both sides of the fence. And I think I think there's often a sort of an assumption that type of organization or another has more issues with certain elements of things. But I think you crystallized the difference very succinctly. I mean, you're either community owned or you're, you know, some version of shareholder member owned. And that's really the distinction. After that, things get very, very similar when you actually (laughs) start to go to work. Yeah. You can do community good through either of those models, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that I'm saying that a nonprofit, you know, 501c3 approved organization model is the only way to, to see community impact. But if you decide to go that route, you are, you are certainly saying something about the benefactors of that organization and, and how you plan to, uh, to structure it and run it. 
Right, right. So we've talked for profit, we've talked nonprofit, and somehow you found a way to squeeze yet another uh, <laughs> another domain into your world and way way of thinking. Tell me a bit about this political organization that you've gotten involved with recently. Yeah, so I have joined the board of actually a nonprofit mm-hmm. that has political innovation implications, right? So it's an it's mm-hmm. an organization called Georgians United, and the uh, goal of the organization is actually to innovate the way that we elect congressional representatives. And the reason I got involved is because again, I guess kind of last five years of my life, right? Being willing to uh, to step in and be action-oriented and things that really grabbed me as, as important and meaningful. And, you know, I, I guess just being frustrated, feeling left out of the political process, or at least not feeling like the options that I have had in the political process as of recent election cycles, I, I just kind of was throwing up my hands and going, you know, there's no way this is going to get fixed. And then sat in a lecture hall and listened to a woman named Catherine Gell talk about, it was actually at an HBS reunion for me, Hmm. how you apply the five forces of Michael Porter's kind of strategic market evaluation to the industry of politics. And it was so interesting to me because she just kind of walked through and I realized this is why this system doesn't seem to work for so many people. Hmm. And when I first heard her talk, there was all kind of the explanation of why it felt like politics was broken. Right. But there really wasn't a whole lot like, what do you do about it kind of thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like just, okay, now I understand why it's broken or why it feels broken to me. But the nice thing is, is that the Institute for Political Innovation has come up with some, some very interesting ways that are both achievable and impactful in being able to fix some of that that feels broken. Mm. And so that's what I've gotten involved in. Georgians United is an organization here in Georgia that is working to implement a final five voting solution. And that really is twofold. Primarily, primarily, mm-hmm. it is changing the primaries. Right. So the first step in the process is rather than having two separate primary elections, you would have one nonpartisan everybody on the ballot at once and rank your top five choices. So instead of instead of Democrats having a Democratic primary, Republicans having a Republican primary, you would have one, like you said, nonpartisan primary with all of the candidates. All of the candidates running. Mm. The great thing about the state of Georgia is you actually can, as an independent voter, choose to vote in either primary election, right? So they've already, I guess, at least become open to the idea that you don't have to be a registered Republican or Democrat to be able to have impact in a uh, in a primary election, but there's still two of them. And right. so there's no way for you to have impact in both of those. If you wish to, to help out one candidate over here in the Democratic primary and one candidate over here in the Republican primary, you can't do that in Georgia. You have to choose one or the other. Oh, interesting. And so the idea would be to be able to have all of those candidates, again, talking about federal congressional elections, so your senators and your representatives, you would be able to uh, to select those candidates on one nonpartisan ballot. And so then you 
you'd have the top five candidates that would move to the general election Mm -hmm. and the general election, you would use an instant runoff voting process that would allow everybody to, uh, to rank choice their top candidates in that instance. I guess that's, that's a whole lot of the like how, but Mm -hmm. the, the real reason for doing that is because the problem that was stated so clearly for me when I was listening to, you know, the conversation in that lecture hall was that right now in our current system, there's really no connection between our elected officials solving problems and the likelihood of them getting elected. Mm. So those two things, so solving problems and getting elected completely, you know, in the Venn diagram don't overlap right now. Right. <laughs> in fact, you you keep your, your office more likely if you don't solve problems because that's probably the thing that makes your your primary voters happiest in the current system but mm. if you if you change that system if you go after the ruling incentives i guess if you go after you know what is it's kind of set up right now and and you change the way party primary elections are done then you you actually can put back the overlapping aspect of, of being able to solve problems that face the general voter population and the fact that that, that will also potentially get you elected. So, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think there's any other system where doing nothing wins you, you know, more business, right? So, right. But, but somehow that seems like where we are in our, in our political system right now. That's fascinating. I, I wonder, and I'm sure you thought about it, or I'm sure it's part of the platform for the organization, but I really like that the solution is so focused on the primary aspect of things because I've heard other people express similar concerns and then start talking about things like amending the constitution to extend the um, term term limits, right? In yeah. the house or, you know, institute term limits or things like that as solutions. But to me, this feels more practical, more likely to, you know, it, it feels like it, it has a higher likelihood of success and it feels like something that you can wrap your head around and understand the process for. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways or a lot of different ideas. If you, if you look at what might be going wrong in Washington, you can, you can point your fingers at a lot of things, gerrymandering, you can point your fingers at term limits. You can point your fingers in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but I guess One of the questions you kind of posed before this session with us is what is not innovation? Mm -hmm. And and in politics, I think what is not innovation is that if something is not both powerful and achievable Hmm. as a solution, then it's not innovation because it doesn't have a snowball's chance, right? Like so yes, (laughs) you can you can try to amend the constitution, but but the process to do that is, you know, and, and change term limits, the process to do that is so out of the possibility of being achievable, that why would you propose that as an innovative solution to the uh, the problem, I guess? Right. I guess what is not innovation? What is not innovation is highlighting the problem and not coming up with some way to address it that is actually something that could change the way it's being handled. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well said. And I think that plays out in the non-political nonprofit space as well. Yeah. You know, it's great to have a vision and a mission that's lofty and firing and, you know, wouldn't it be a perfect world if nobody was hungry? Wouldn't it be a perfect world if, you know, there were no nuclear weapons, you know, what, what have you, but you can't innovate around that. There are powerful and achievable goals you can set to set a society on a path. But uh, as long as you're only talking about that wished for in-state perfect world, 
it doesn't set you up for, for being able to craft and implement powerful, achievable, innovative solutions. You know, it's funny, I hadn't really thought about that and its application to kind of the, the rest of my, uh, my, my job, right? My nine to five, uh, but, but you're exactly right. And, and I think that's a good way to think about what we are trying to help nonprofit leaders do, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to help them clarify. We're trying to help them focus. We are also trying to help them understand that, you know, just reinventing something that's already out there is not the thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. I guess we don't want folks to to stop in their tracks or not start something that they feel compelled to start just because somebody out there is doing something similar. But right. if, if you don't pause and, and take a moment and go, is what I am doing something that can be powerful and achievable and is also not, <laughs> you know, just basically saying, Hey, I know you do that over there, but I don't, I don't like the way you do it. So I'm going to do it myself kind of thing. You know, it, it's exactly. there, there are so many pieces in that that probably deserve to be unpacked more, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. It's, it's trying to help people focus and think about where can I have an impact? Where can I move, you know, something forward? Where can I have a piece of the solution knowing that it's going to take partnering with other people who have another piece of the solution in order to see something truly, you know, reconciled to see, Mm -hmm. to see a solution that is, that is having um, a much broader societal impact. So yeah, I, I think you're right. It's okay for a lot of people to be running after a lot of things, but hopefully we're helping folks figure out how to partner with other people and other organizations to, uh, to, to see a complete solution and understand what piece of it is theirs to do and what piece of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I think there's a, a lot of power in partnerships, structural partnerships, mergers, whatever you want to call them, functional partnerships, all those things on the nonprofit side, I think are underutilized sometimes because of the the zeal and the passion of a founder and you know their ownership for the the mission and sometimes it's about i think falling in love a bit more with the outcome that you want for the world and not so much the solution that you've crafted in and of itself because i i do think there's lots of places where you know i, I get emails and invites to things all the time and i'm thinking oh this this organization is doing almost the exact same thing this organization is doing and they're competing for funders they're competing for attention they're competing for volunteers if they combine their efforts everybody's life would get easier mm-hmm. <laughs> and things would and they'd all get where they want to go faster yeah but it's it's just hard to see that i think sometimes when you have such a personal connection to what you're trying to accomplish yeah for sure i mean we definitely see that with nonprofit leaders and and in fact the lead institute merged into Orchard. Uh, well, right. you know, I, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I do think about that because, I mean, I've spent my, you know, the first half of my career in helping with mergers and acquisitions and, you know, helping for-profit companies do those types of things. So when I left that world and entered into nonprofit, I wasn't really thinking that one of the first things I would be involved in is a <laughs> is a nonprofit merger, but merger, that's yeah. that's exactly where it kind of led. Funny. And I'll say, having been around mergers and investments and and those kind of things for a long time, it's never easy. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it and do it well, and if you see the future opportunity of two organizations coming together that are really hoping to achieve very similar things, it's hard, but it's good work, right? Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that's what 
what we see with the, the lead and, and orchard merger. There were so many reasons for us to be doing things together, but it did mean that each of us had to kind of set aside some things that we felt like were important, but maybe not central to mm. the way that, that we operated. And so, yeah. you know, maybe that was made a little easier in that both Orchard and Lead were being run by folks who had taken over from founders. Mm. But I think both Orchard and Lead were organizations run by people who were very, very respectful of their found. Uh, hopefully that's, that's what happened. <laughs> for but sure. Respectful yeah. of their founders and yeah. their visions for the organization. And wanted to make sure that those were shepherded well through the process of bringing two organizations together. But mm -hmm. I can see those types of partnerships. I see them as very valuable. I can see why sometimes they are hard to both identify as well as then, you know, solidify once they have been seen because there's just so much tied to, you know, the founders of nonprofits and their visions for the organization. So mm -hmm. you have to be willing to to let go to uh, be a part of that. No, exactly. It's so funny that, that, uh, you know, as I was saying that it didn't even click to me that, that you had just kind of walked through that <laughs> and lived that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to ask, where can people learn more about the things you've been talking about today, about Orchard, about the um, Institute for Political Innovation? That's and, right. That's and right. The Georgia Alliance. Can you just kind of let folks know where they can find information on those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you are interested in learning more about Orchard and what we do, you can go to our website, which is www.meetorchard.org. So M-E-E-T Orchard, as in O-R-C-H-A-R-D.org. Mm -hmm. And then for the Institute for Political Innovation is political dash innovation.org. And that's kind of the national organization that has been thinking about the final five voting solution for the past three, four, five years. And then Georgians United is the nonprofit organization that is here in Georgia that has been set up to educate about these opportunities. And that is georgiansunited.org. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to spend some quality time doing some light reading on those sites. So I'm excited about all those concepts and even some of the non-obvious overlaps with, you know, do we do innovation work in the consumer goods space, do some services innovation work. I'm sure is going to spark a lot of thoughts and ideas for us in that space as well. So my interest in the fractured political system, I'm sure it'll be useful for that as well. Because that's also part of what innovation is about is reapplying from one domain to another. And you do that masterfully from <laughs> your corporate world to the nonprofit space, both for you know community impact and also political impact. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm not sure masterfully is the, uh, the answer there. <laughs> it's fun to do something, reflect on it, process, and then just see, you know, kind of look back and see the breadcrumbs, right? To see where the connectivity was and to see where it still is. And I, I agree with you. Sometimes those things are, are really clear. Sometimes, you know, there's aha moments, but I guess it's, it's nice that life still surprises you. Uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Given your career and, and, you know, some of the things you alluded to in terms of making choices about being on the path, stepping off the path, all those other things, what kind of advice would you have for innovators? 
in thinking through that, like what, what would be the, you know, the advice for somebody who either is or is considering, you know, something new or different or, or has big ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess my takeaway is just that even if it doesn't feel comfortable, <laughs> mm. sometimes you, you just have to innovate your life, right? You have mm -hmm. to shake things up to, to see what needs to be different. And, and I don't, I don't know when I first decided to to kind of make some of those initial shifts or changes in in my life. I guess I expected to make a change and then and then find the new path and kind of be like, okay, now I'm in my you know in my new path and and I'm settled there. And and maybe there's a little bit of that, but I, I think I've just kind of come to the conclusion that that change is part of life mm -hmm. and that you know by continually looking for ways to implement that change, but maybe reflect on it, process it and, and try it differently. I mean, I think this is a day-to-day -day commitment as well as a, you know, year by year commitment. So it just, I think you got to be willing to do it. And I think you got to be willing to continue to redo it if <laughs> innovation is, uh, is going to be part of your life. So a little bit. Just get out of that comfort zone and, and keep growing. That's uh that's probably my my advice for innovators. That's perfect. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for your time and stopping by to talk with me and share with our guests. I really appreciate all the work you do for the community and everything you do, particularly for nonprofits here in the Atlanta area. And I can't wait to see the bigger and better and greater things that you're going to do as part of Orchard and the amazing community that they've built there as well. So thank you for your service to the community and for your friendship and for your continued thought partnership on things that, that I'm working on. So I appreciate all of that. And maybe we'll try to do this again and cover some of the ground we didn't have a chance to cover. That sounds great. Thanks for having me and allowing me to share. Obviously, enjoy any conversation I get to have with you, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. We will talk again soon. Sounds great. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs>